if these kinds of texts, if they're not practical, if they're not useful to us, then, then they're dangerous. I'm asking this question, why aren't we living in this energizing, rich, effective spiritual life? Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. The sermon text from this morning is coming from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my command, that you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I don't know why I love little interruptions like that. I don't know why I enjoy it so much. I think because um, it just, I just like it when life interferes. <laughs> you know, I like it when, when life interferes with what feels kind of abstract, you know, this abstract event called worship. And all of a sudden life interferes, you know, and there's something happens, something that we don't predict. I like that. All right, let's 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 take a look here at uh, at our text, and and I what I want to do today is I want to look at this. I want to begin by examining the metaphor, and 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 we're going to be in this text uh, for a while. As I told you before, the, I take this this all the way to chapter 17, to be the cave of wonders in the Bible. In other words, across these few chapters are spread and lit, they are littered with 
with joys, <laughs> with, with wonders about God's love, with, with messages of tender love and, and God's power. With this, this text alone is just is littered and, and, and abundant with so many things that, that I'm excited to, to, to delve into. And, and so I, I, I honestly think this will be uh, our slowest time in the Word will be in this, will be in this text uh, as, we, as we look at it. But uh, why vines? Let's, I want to get down to, let's get down to brass tacks. Why vines? Why does Jesus use the image of vines? Well, why, why this particular metaphor? And, and what's, what would, might be its purpose or its intention or, or its use to us? And, and I think as we explore these things, we're going to learn some things about what it means to be good uh, people that love, people that, that, are, that, are, that are thinking clearly about our process, about who we are as Christians, how we become Christians, how we grow. And these metaphors are meant to feed you. They're meant, to, they're meant to open you up. And there's a wisdom in them that I think you'll enjoy. And here it is. We see it's very pastoral. It is very rooted in its context. It is, it is very accessible. It is vine and vine dresser, branch and branches. And now, now, for most of us, have you, ever, have, you ever trimmed, have you ever trimmed a vine? Have you ever trimmed a plant? You have trimmed a plant. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And, and, but by many of us, we're not, we're not, we're not, this is alien. We, we, this is not our work. Now, for many of us here, it was, right? But for us, it isn't. Well, at least we have Napa and Sonoma nearby, so we can, we can at least go and learn something or, or see it in action. But many people would never even see it. Vines. Now, I want us to explore this because these biblical metaphors teach us, even in themselves, they teach us. Why vines? Or answering the question, why biblical metaphors are awesome. First of all, it's just loving. You see, it's always loving to step down into a, somewhere someone is and use the language they get in their context. This is some of that generous, humble love of an eternal God. And what does he do and how does he do it? And how does Jesus shape his message in order to get it home? Well, he speaks in a way that's intelligible, accessible. He doesn't use jargon because jargon in the end is what? Unloving. It's, it's unloving. It's, 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 it's language for us and not language for others who may need to understand. So let's see, we can see the heart of Christ in the very way, not just what he says, but in the very way he says it. We will be rewarded again and again if we come to Jesus, not just to learn truths, but to learn how those truths should be preached and taught and advertised and, and brought to bear into our lives. Well, let's go on. Not only is it loving, it's organic. In other words, these biblical metaphors of vineyards and vine dressers, they intimate something to us, don't they? About what the real model is. How should you understand growing in grace? How should you understand your spiritual life? How, should, how will you understand it? Well, you're going to understand it's organic. And every metaphor in the Bible, almost everyone, has, a, has this organic process kind of built into it. It's not industrial. It's not, it's not easy. It's organic. It takes time. There are no shortcuts with organic models. Are there's, no, there's no quick way to get there. It's organic. And finally, it is most importantly, perhaps, for Jesus here, consistent. There is much prophetic precedent. We were just in, uh, in Christmas stuff, right? And in Christmas stuff, uh, we, 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 uh, I think we, we used Isaiah 9. A shoot will come up from Jesse. A shoot 
You see, that's the that's the language of vines. It's the language of it's the language of of uh, of gardening. All right. And so the prophets use this consistently. And why did the prophets use it? Why did Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel use this image? Because it's loving. And it's organic. It's very, very sweet. A very sweet gesture of God's love. But this last one, the consistency. Yeah, it's really consistent. In fact, the hearers would have known a passage from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 15. And in fact, what we just read in John 15 really eerily sounds familiar in some of its judgments, in some of its judgments to Ezekiel 15. Let's take a look at it right now. There's a reason for this even. I want us to see something here. We're going to use the word the way it's supposed to be used. And the word of the I am came to me. Son of man, now that was Ezekiel's title. Christ grabbed that title and used it for himself. Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest, is it wood taken from it to make anything? A chair or anything like that? No. Do people even make a peg from it to hang any jars on it? Look and see, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. And when the fire is consumed, both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Well, look and see. When it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less now, when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? Therefore says the Lord the I am, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up those who live in Jerusalem." And I will set my face against them. And though they escape from the fire, the fire shall consume them. And I want you to imagine Samuel Jackson's voice here for this last part. <laughs> though they escape from the fire, the fire shall consume them. And you will know that I am the I am when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord. The I am. All right, do you see the enormous, it's just the wonderful uh, 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 synthesis and connection and consistency. Christ is borrowing and using the very tropes and images about vines and burning that, are, that everybody would have recognized. Now, we don't recognize it because we don't read Ezekiel. At least not many of us do, as we should. And so, and so he, he, he's, he's lining up. And, and in fact, now we see why the, we have that, that, that harsh language in, in, in the passage about God pruning and cutting off branches and removing them. It's consistent. It's loving. It's contextual. But I, wanna, I, want, to, I want to go further. And I want to reach in, even as we've kind of uncovered some of the idea of why God is using the idea of vine, and, and I think we'll explore, and this, this will make more and more sense as we go through it. Even as we think about that, that is all an attempt. God is trying to take something transcendent and beautiful and eternal and wonderful and glorious and everlasting. What's that? The Father's love for his own son. God the Father's love for his own son and their connection, and he's trying to make it have some purchase, some, some real work in our lives. And that's what these images are meant to do in their humility and grace. They're meant to pierce. They're meant to bring an eternal God and his love. Well, look, look, look at some of these things. Look at the backdrop behind the metaphor. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What is the basis for Christ's love and death on a cross, Clay? 
It's the Father's love for the Son. You and I get the benefits of a love that we have nothing to do with, (laughs) that exists outside of all space and time in the universe. And it's now been brought to bear by Jesus. It's been brought into living life and image and metaphor and tenderness. So you can hear the whispers and the call of eternal love. And, and this is beautiful. And you know, it's funny, I was reading this and I want to read you here this quote that I think sums it up. I, I don't think I've ever bought a, put a quote up in here before, but I'm going to do it today. This is from uh, one of the great preachers of the 20th century. And I was reading this this week and it just really hit me. As I read my Bible, I discover more and more that God Almighty never had a thought from eternity to eternity that did not center on Jesus Christ. To God Almighty, Jesus Christ is everything. I just feel like I should drop a mic and walk out or something. this This is astounding. To me. And I, as I was sitting there, I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm reading it, and I just kind of, I read it and I read it again. And the only reason I even picked the book up was just, it was a, it was a kind of a, it was just a stray thought. I said, oh, I should go and grab that. And as I was reading it, I kept thinking, Holy Spirit, thank you for leading me to grab a book that I wasn't going to read to see something that I would have never seen because it, it, it seemed to crack open something. It seemed to describe a greater reality than I've ever known. And it seemed to invite me in. Oh, oh, I hope we can get excited about this. So that is, again, this is kind of abstract. Let's look at John 15. John 15, Christ tries to describe how we access all that glorious love of eternity by this idea of abiding, asking, and fruit bearing. He continues with the metaphor because it's so useful. It's, it's a child could understand it, right? But, you know, there's other ways we can say that. Now, it might be a systematic theology we could turn to. And in systematic theology, it might read like this. Regeneration and union with Christ results in intercession, which also results in your sanctification. Did I lose anybody? The shun words, the T-I-O-N words, what are the, what are the I-O-N words, what are they? They're abstractions, but they're useful. They're abstractions, but they don't, they don't get in there and get me excited. And I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it colloquially. Let's see if we can rob language. Let's see if we can dive down. And maybe in this moment, I can do a little bit of the prophetic work and love and tenderness to make it accessible. Homemaking with Jesus, which is another way of talking about abiding or regeneration in union with Christ, results in doubling down on the ask. Twice in our text, we see the asking. And what happens? Good and amazing stuff. Wow. All right, so, all right, you know, here I go. You know, there's a, I remember Kierkegaard has a quote. He has a Danish proverb he quoted in one of his books, and that, and that is the complaint against the church. Things are not in the world the way the parson preaches. You ever, you ever thought that? Things are not in the world the way the parson preaches. In other words, often the message, this, doesn't this sound removed? Are, are we exper- this, this causes me, and I think it also caused you, and it also caused all of us to kind of go, well, wait a second. This is, okay, Chris, wait, Chris, say, Chris, you described an eternal love from beyond space and time. I don't know what that feels like or looks like or whether that helps me get up tomorrow. 
I don't know if that saves me from ending my life when I'm down or, 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 or Keith gets me up to do something I don't want to do. Okay, well, I tried to bring it down into our lives in this kind of practical way. And so in a practical way, we can access the, the, the love of God and union with and being born again and, and our prayer lives and, and, and good, amazing things happening. We're making us holy and bearing fruit. And again, I think some of you are going to sit here and go, this is not a description of my spiritual life. Some of you, I think fairly, would say to me, well, I could say it to you. Haven't you known many times in your life where John 15 and a connection with God's eternal love is not, is not resulting in this process? I think it, bear, it, it kind of, it, it kind of, it, it seems to me that these kinds of passages, these kinds of texts, that if, they, if, if they're not, if they're not practical, if they're not useful to us, then, then they're dangerous. Or they're, but I'm asking this question, why aren't we living in this energizing, rich, eruptive, dynamic, effective spiritual life? It occurred to me today, where this vine, this vine, these, these Im- metaphors are actually not just an encouragement. See, Christ is inviting you to believe this process, right? Believe in the union with him in a cross and his love will result in powerful prayer, prevailing prayer that results in real results. He, he has asked you, he has told you, this is his word. Trust it, Cedric. Put your trust in it, for it is the truth. God's not a liar. He can't lie. But doesn't that just up the guilt? Why, aren't, why isn't this happening? Where does it happen? Now, all right, so I, I, the reason I kind of want to push this point is because I want us to learn how to prune. And all right, so what, I'm, what am I, what's my job today? Have you guys ever seen pruning shears? Pruning shears, you got the curved blade to fit around a branch. They look extremely wicked, don't they? In fact, in a good mob movie, when the mobster brings out some pruning shears in order to make the guy talk, the guy always talks, right? Because it's such a wicked looking piece of machinery. It's curved, it's ugly, it's got leverage. Pruning. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to do a little, I want to see, by, Father, this is what I'm asking right now. Help us in this pruning work. I want to teach us what this means that he prunes and cleans us because of the word. Remember, prunes and cleans are the same word in Greek, katharoi, we would get the word catharsis and catheter, something that cleans, something that, that, that cleans out and prunes. Now, how can we do this work? Because if we can't do that work, then, then how are we going to abide? How are we going to have this open? And how are we going to double down? Look at this. First, we have the conditional promise, if you abide, Whatever you wish, it will be done. And down here, we have a resultant promise. God had appointed you so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And here it's a result or a consequence of living life. Here is a condition. It's conditional. How, I want to dive in. I want to dive into these double down promises. All right. I want you to picture my Bible or your Bible as a big pair of pruning. Maybe some of you need like the pruning shears that got leverage with three foot handles. Anybody need any of those? I, some of you, I know, I know. Johnny, 
You get ready, all right? Because some of us, we need, we need the pruning work. And, and this, is gonna, this might be a little scary for some of us. Have you ever seen a, tr- a tree professionally pruned? You would swear they killed it, wouldn't you? I mean, they strip everything down. It looks like, I mean, I remember when they would come and do it to the bushes, and you're like, well, why did they kill the bushes? <laughs> it looks like they killed, and you might feel like you're going to get killed. It might hurt, in other words. Be, be, get ready. Get ready, because it might, might be a little wounding here and a little bit of fear in us. Because the word is, we need to get some diagnostic. And what are the diagnostic I want to do right now, the pruning, cleaning work I'm hoping we'll do, Father, I've asked, is about prayer. Let's troubleshoot our prayers. Let's troubleshoot why our prayer lives have become so empty. Let's troubleshoot why we are not seeing answers that we have craved or hungered for. And this troubleshooting, by the way, I got the advantage of pruning my heart last week and it, last night and it hurt, and now I'm going to do you the same favor, right? I want to prune. Let's do some troubleshooting about prayer based on this text, pruning and cleaning of the word. Let's do it. Why not? And see where it gets us. Because by doing this, I think we can have hope. Because I hope for this year that we will be a prevail. I said we have no resolution. I don't believe in resolutions. I think resolutions are born of the flesh. They are, they are a way that we marshal our own strength for what we want. I want the Holy Spirit to do something. But if there's anything I would love this to do is to have a year, to have a heart of prevailing prayer. So let's get down to diagnostics. And let's begin with the first diagnostic of all. And I, before, I even, before I even go to the text, the first diagnostic is this. If you don't know God, you have no reason to hope that he hears your prayers. He may hear them, but you have no certainty in it. Sometimes he hears the prayers of how wild he could. He could choose to do that. But I can offer no hope to any of you if you don't know Jesus and are not transformed by his love. Uh, and I, this is so important. Um, I want you to hear here that this pruning work is it's, it's for Christians. It's not for non, if you're an unbeliever, if you're, if you're a person who doesn't have faith yet, don't be discouraged. You can cry out for him to know you. But I can't make the same guarantees. And the diagnostics won't work the same way. So if you're not a believer, you have to give your life to Christ. Um, let, let me go back to this for, real quick. Did anybody watch The Grinch this year? I mean the old one, not these new ones. The old one. The old one. The, no, the old one. This one from the 60s with Bella Lugosi. Well, look. Doc, no, no, no. That's, that's, that stuff's junk. That stuff's junk. All the Grinch versions are junk. You got to go back and you got to watch the original. Because, thank you. Another old timer here. Because the old timer is read by Bella Lugosi. Oh, he had a great voice. And... Uh, and Dr. Seuss had something to do with the production of it. It, it. And it's really just a reading, except for the songs, which are some of the best songs ever made for that kind of thing. Uh, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, and all that. But, but in the end, I remember the charm. The Grinch, if you don't know the story, has stolen all the toys and all the trimmings and the trees and the Christmas celebration of Whoville. And he has taken it in a monstrous bag to throw it off the top of a mountain in his bitterness and his anger and his rage and his envy and his jealousy. As he gets to the mountain, as he's about to throw and hurl all of their treasures into the, in, off the mountain... He pauses to listen because he wants to hear their wailing and their crying. And he listens. What does he hear? Do you remember? They are praising. 
and it's not Christian. So it sounds like a hymn, but it doesn't have any words. And somebody should take that tune and make it into a hymn because it's a charming, charming song. But they want, there's no Jesus in that story. No, it's really important. There is no Jesus in that story. There is not even the gospel in this. There's, this is not in that story. This regeneration, knowing Jesus. Because I, I want you to hear me here. Jesus is not about renovating your heart. What happens to the Grinch? He hears the singing, and it said, and there's a little frame around his heart. It's really clever. And, and they're showing his part, which is very, very small, very, very small. And it grows three times larger that day. Remember that? And it bursts open. And it bursts the bounds. It bursts the little frame. It, it, and then, fueled with new strength, he takes the, and he takes all the toys and trimmings and trees, and he rescues Whoville and rescues Christmas. That is not the gospel story. God is not interested in renovating hearts. He regenerates hearts. You get the difference? He's not taking the stuff of who you are, Mike, and saying, I'm going to use some of that stuff, and I'm going to make something good out of it. No, no, no. Here does he say, that stuff's not worth it. <laughs> I'm going to make new stuff. I make new hearts. I make new life. It's, it's, you see, one's the gospel, and one's just self-improvement. One is us in the, receiving the treasure of grace and the new heart we so desperately need. And one is merely, how do I improve myself? How do I change what's there? One's the gospel and one's not. One's good news and one's just a moralistic fable. I put that before you because I want you to hear grace I want you to hear God's love to regenerate and renew and give new power. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. He's a new creation. Hear that with hope as we go through the diagnostic snips. Now, why, why might your prayer life be dead and so ineffective? Well, it's because of sin. Behold, the I am's hands is not, uh, is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your twistedness, your twistedness, that's the, the word is translated iniquities, I believe in the, in the, in the ESV. I choose uh, uh, something closer to the root of the Hebrew, because that's what it means, twisted or bent. Twisted. It made a separation between you and your God and your failures. This is translated sin. In the SV. But its original means to miss the mark, to fail to achieve. But your failures of what? Hidden his face from you. So he does not hear. All right. Snips it. You see how big these snips can get now? All right, let's go in. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no wavering. That's the old King James Version. And I think it's prefer preferable over doubting because it's not really what it's about. Doubting in the, in, the, in the modern world means something different. For the one who wavers is like a wave of the sea. You see the root there, wavering waves. That is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Snip. Snip. You hear it? Are you wishy-washy? Do you hear it? Are you in the end kind of wishy-washy about it all? Kind of half committed, half in and half out. I don't know, maybe. Oh, yeah, I'll sign up for prayer this time and not. I don't know. I kind of like, I dig this to a point and I don't know. 
do you hear? Do you hear the, do you hear the snip? <laughs> do you hear the condemnation? Do not be wishy-washy in your faith. There are many things to doubt and struggle with and many fierce battles against doubt that have to be waged. Yes, that's not what this is about. This is about people who kind of go, well, I don't know, today I'm, oh, I'm over here. I'm, oh, no, I'm over there. Oh, I it's wishy-washiness, flimsiness, and a lack of real commitment to the promises of God that costs you. No, no, snip. Do you hear it? Troubleshoot your prayer life. Are you an inconstant man? Are you a wavering woman who cannot settle down on what they really want or desire from him or of him or in him? No, what is one of Jesus' name? The rock, <laughs> right? He is the rock that is higher than I. He is the rock in which I could stand and never be, never be shaken. And you see, I have to return to the word to prune me. Snip. <laughs> What's the next one? Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive you your trust. Whenever you st whenever you st <laughs> snip, any grudges? Any grudges in the room? Any bitterness about some way somebody's treated you? Somebody been unkind, unfair, or cruel, or malicious? How about your mom or dad? How about a brother or sister? How about somebody who abused you or hurt you? Or abuse somebody you loved. We are grudge keepers. We, we suck on grudges like they're candies. Keep them in our mouths. We like a grudge because it can animate you, right? A grudge it can animate you, give you power to get up in the morning when you're angry. Such power knows nothing about Jesus, does it? And what will it do to you? What will it do to me if we hold on in anger or bitterness against anyone? We can no longer pray as we ought. Troubleshoot your prayer here. Snip. Are you feeling pruned yet? Are you feeling challenged? Well, let's go on. This is aimed at husbands, but it includes everybody in the family eventually. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And if you're going to take offense at that, let's talk about it later. It's not, it's not what it sounds like. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm going to tell my wife something I don't want her to know, but she should probably do this. If I'm ever not understanding of her, she can say to me, what? What, do you not want your prayers to be answered anymore? You can say that to your husband, Adele. With the way you just talked to me, is it you just don't really, your prayer life's not that important to you? God doesn't seek to hold us hostage. That's not the point here. What are we, what's the point here? It's to pursue in our, in our relationships, in the central core defining relationships, male and female, in marriages or all intimacy, what? Strife and envy and discord and lack of, those are all what? They're all bare. If you've been harsh with her, if you've been harsh with Rochelle, I'll beat you up. But, but if you have been, the Lord has taken an interest in it, Johnny. He has. And you too, Will a direct and pertinent and immediate interest. You would come to me and pray. Now, so as you're single, you have a bride too. It's the church. Treat the church as your bride. You, you can't get away from this. Envy, strife, and discord, and a lack of kindness and gentleness that is part of a regenerated heart that's born again must be functional, even in your marriage in its most desperate days. Because marriage is a great unveiler, and all community is a great unveiler of what? The sin inside. 
You know, when we all get close to each other, we start hurting each other, don't we? You know we do. We start hurting each other. That's right where you need to be applying grace and living grace and living love together. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Your prayer, are you troubleshooting? Do you hear it? Snip. Are you challenging your heart? Is the ineffectiveness of your prayer life rooted here? Let's go to the next one. You see what we're doing here? Christ said you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And I'm hoping that through my voice and through the words on a screen that our Father's reaching out of his love in heaven and all that love that comes from eternity for will and going, okay, I'll snip here. Because we need to be snipped in order to have life, in order to know him, in order to know how to pray. What's the next barrier to prayer? Praying with bad motives. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And I'll tell you, this is... I'll tell you, all right, let, let, let's, let's, let's talk turkey. Who do you think commits this sin more than anybody else in this room? Well, I do. I do. Because what happens is I pray all sorts of godly things to happen for you, for me, and for the church. But in the end, what's always waiting for me as an evil desire? What's always there as a wrong motive? My personal success. My reputation. My good name. <clears throat> my ministry. You hear it? In other words, even when you ask for good things, even when you ask for the best things for your mom and for the person you love or for your sister or for your kids and your, your but then you have to, you have to do what? You have to do, you have to do an inventory. Why do you ask the things you ask for? You must do this because that's the way to troubleshoot an effective prayer. You hear it? What are your motives? What does Christ tell us? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you hear it? Turn your prayer life into an advertisement of your hunger for the things you don't have that you want for him and you want for yourself and for his kingdom. Amen? Like we have to, we have to go, you have to do this work again. This is, a, this is not a one-time thing. You dredge the, you can, look, you'll do things. You can dredge up your motives one day and you look, let's say you, you're troweling your motives and like your heart's some deep ocean. And you trowel up one day and boy, well, that's what I wanted, a lobster. That's perfect. You know, it's, it's a good thing you find there. But a lot of times you dredge it and what do you find? A boot. You ever been fishing and fish and find a boot? You ever done you ever pulled a boot in a fishing line? Same thing. You're finding and discovering the wrong motives that animate your heart. Finally, finally, most devastatingly, what's the great obstacle in our prayer lives? Son of man, the great title for Ezekiel, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be inquired of by them? What's the final snip? What's the final word, the way God wants to prune you? What, look, you see, here's, and this is why I can't go, because I don't know what your idols really are. You see, you can hide, you can bring them into your heart. Your, your idol for success or, or approval or, or, or power or money, whatever it is you're, you're desiring and wanting. And, and, or maybe you made a, an idol out of romance or an idol out of your marriage or your kids or whatever it is. And you take it into your heart and it's the one thing you're looking for hope from. It's the one thing you hope will answer all your needs. It's the one thing in a sense in your worship, your idol is what you truly pray to. You get that? 
See, if you're idle success, you pray to success. Success, bless me. Success, bless me. So I will be happy and secure and good and whole and, and intact. <laughs> what does success become right there? An idol taken into the heart. What does the Lord say? What is his absolute response? How does he begin the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods in my face. That's the literal translation of it. I find them offensive, even if they're of the heart. Okay. One of my, one of my, the reason I talk about success is that's one of my idols. It's one of the things I worship, one of the things I want more than anything else. I find myself wanting more than Jesus, right? I feel it. You feel it? Oh, he's coming in. Snip. Now I get scared here because what's left? <laughs> if I can't hold a grudge and I can't, and I can't be driven by success, gosh, grudges and success were half of what was getting me up every day. You ever been there? I have. No, 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 no. Do you hear it? All right, now let me let me let me give you something more beautiful than this. Remember, who was sitting there while Jesus was teaching? Who was sitting right there? Actually, we know how he was sitting there, by the way. We know what John liked to do with Jesus. If anybody in that group of men was closer to Jesus, physically it was going to be John. John had a way, it seemed, of getting up next to Jesus, kind of leaning on him. That's, that's how it describes the Last Supper. This wonderful, and so you know, John was right next to him. And he's talking to me, I'm the vine, the father's the vine dresser. John's sitting there listening. And then many, many, many years later, the pastorate later, the resurrection later, what does he tell them? This is the confidence. This is the confidence. Why is it confidence? He's proved it. He proved it in his life. It was proved by the resurrection. It was proved by the death of Jesus. It was proved in John's own preaching, Right? What was proved? This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Pruned and cleaned indeed. <laughs> you know, the pruning and cleaning of God is a little scary. But let's run full circle back to his love, because that's where this all comes from. What do I mean by that? Let's run full circle right here. Let's go back to that quote from Barnhouse. I've changed it. As I read my Bible, I discover more and more that God Almighty never had a thought from eternity to eternity that did not center on you and me. You see, we're in Jesus, so this is now true, right? We're in him. The prepositions don't lie. They give you everything. They give you that eternal love of the Father and the Son, and now it's right at you, Scott, and it's right at you, Sebastian, and it's right here for me. To God Almighty, you and me are everything. You know, if the Holy Spirit pruned you today, he didn't do it just to hurt your feelings and make you feel some conviction, did he? No, he did it to restore to you the joy of new life and his love and his power. Praise him. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, Father, I love you. I love you so much. 
I don't, I don't, I don't understand how you could make a people like us your everything. And from eternity to eternity, a thought, your thoughts have centered on me and us. It doesn't make any sense. I'm lucky if my thoughts center on you for more than 15 minutes a day. We're all like that, Father. How we praise you for your tender love. Father, where you have tenderly today snipped at our hearts and confronted our idols, our grudges, our, our, our wishy-washiness, our, 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 our meanness to family, all this different... <sighs> blurred motives. What do you do in the end? You say, yeah, I, I know all that. And I love you anyway. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us to go and do the work we can't do. And how we praise you. And now, Father, as we've done the work, we're troubleshooting our prayer lives. <laughs> Holy Spirit, turn us into a people of prayer like nothing we've, nothing we've seen before. <laughs> do it. Turn us into a people of prayer and a people who prune and clean and use the word just the way you've taught us to reveal our hearts. Help us to do it with our sexuality. Help us to do it with our families. Help us to do it when it comes to our work and our business and our play. Help us to do it about our mouths. Your word has things to say and prune about all these things. Help us to do it about what we look at or what we imagine and, and dream about. Your word prunes and cleans. Oh, Father, do the work of your word in us. We ask that in the name of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, take and eat. In the same way, he also took, after dinner, a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink, uh, do this and remember me. Oh, do you, don't you see how loving this is? because it's so simple and accessible. <laughs> Don't you see how, 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 oh yes, this is, this is the same heart. This is how organic this is. What we take in feeds us, fills us, and shapes us. Yes, yes. And, 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 and how consistent this is. This is the message from the beginning. The blood of our Savior cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Praise Him. If you're a sinner today, a ruined man or a ruined woman. If, if, if that message, look, if the message didn't cut you at all, then you probably shouldn't go to the table. Let's just start right there. If, you, if you've suffered no conviction from the word today, there's something wrong. We need to talk later. Uh, that's a whole other question. What I mean is, is that this table is for broken people, right? Who, who, the sinners who need a savior, whose faith is in Jesus and his blood, and in a love from beyond space and time for you and me. Praise him with highest praise and get this in you by faith because it's hope and life and grace and joy and peace and everything else. Amen. I say this warning every week, and I think this warning is a relief to many of you and may be terrifying to some. You are not permitted to this table if you think you're a good person. But, uh, no, 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 no. Christ said, I've not come to heal the healthy, but the sick. <laughs> healthy people don't need a physician. 
sick people do. Diseased, fractured, twisted, sinful. So that's, if you, if you don't know or imagine or realize you need Jesus, this isn't your table right now. And finally, if you're a skeptic, if you're a skeptic and you want, you want more proof, then um, I will pray God will reveal that to you. I want God to overwhelm your skepticism with eternal love. Okay? And we'll talk later. I hope you'll envy us that we could know a God so well. Amen? I hope you're envious. All right, let's, uh, this part of worship is very simple. We're going to stand, if you'll stand now. Let's proclaim to one another uh, the mystery of our faith. Uh, I, I, you know, one of the reasons we do call and response is because I need to hear the Bible. I need to hear the truth of the gospel as much as you do. I need to hear it too. And then we'll say, we'll say, speak the Apostles' Creed together. I believe that those events in the Apostles' Creed are no myth. They are events from space and time. And you are called. You must believe that they have happened and are true and are true for you uh, in order to take the table. But, but if they do, please feel free to come forward with joy. And uh, finally, um, uh, no, I think that's everything. Great. All right. And then we'll, no, we'll, we're going to sing a song and then we'll take the bread and the wine back to our seats and take it together. Um, but we'll come forward during the song. So uh, will you proclaim, let's proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Amen. Tell me, Christians, brothers and sisters, uh, what, what do you believe? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. Third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.